to the Sports Memory Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Forbes. Today, we are going to be talking about literally the only thing that's going on in sports right now, which is the moves that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are making. And we are recording this podcast live from St. Petersburg, Florida, right across the bay, the better side of the bay, St. Petersburg. We are actually joined by two Tampa natives, Newman and Kurt. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, man. Good to be here. Doing, doing well here. Oh, yeah, man. We're, we're doing what I've never wanted to do in my entire life, which is talking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So yeah, um, this is the Sports Memory Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Drew Forbes. We have Newman and Kurt Calvin with us today. Um, both lifelong Bucks fans, supposedly. Uh, but that's often the case with Bucks fans. And today the topic, really the only topic is the Buccaneers. And arguably the most exciting offseason ever in Bucks history. Uh, what do we got? So for 20 years, Boston has had the greatest quarterback in history. Not one of the greatest, not arguably the greatest, the greatest. If you would disagree with that, you don't really deserve to have an opinion. Now you can go down the trail of cheating scandals, deflated footballs, and questionable magazine cover interviews. And still, I'll just point to nine Super Bowl appearances in 20 career years and tell you to shut the fuck up. Marino, Dan Marino, arguably one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever play the position, only ever made it to the big dance one time in his entire career. The NFL has historically been one of the most top-heavy leagues of any sports, with only a handful of teams possessing a lion's share of the overall titles. The lopsided nature of the league is not due to chance. It's due to guys like Brady, who managed to, do, to not only play quarterback at a high level for a long period of time, but that also managed to consistently win it in the big moment. There's been others. Joe Montana, of course, won four out of four Super Bowls. Bradshaw did the same with four out of four. And Aikman won three out of three. But no quarterback has ever even come close to nine total appearances. He is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. What he's done with arguably will never be done again. And he just signed a two-year contract with the worst team in NFL history, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we were just talking about it just prior to the show. That is not just the worst team in NFL history. If you look at the win percentage by the Bucs, that is the lowest winning percentage of any of the four major sports. Here at the Sports Memory, we call that content gold. So Newman, Kurt, it's been an interesting uh, offseason to be a fan, huh? Absolutely. Yes, uh, it. I mean, we're in the midst of a virus, and the NFL is the only thing we really have. So, if you're a Bucks fan, you're you know you're you're on the mountaintop right now. You are for now. Um, it, they definitely won the off season. I mean, just talk us through the roller coaster that has been this off season. What what, what have you guys' thoughts been? So, for a person like me who was Team Jameis, uh, it in, in terms of the most polarizing quarterback we've seen for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much expected it, they were just going to franchise tag him, and then we actually get through it all. It becomes kind of apparent that they're not going to franchise tag him. 
and then they go all in after Tom Brady. And for a person who also enjoys the Jets, Tom Brady is not a guy that you are very fond of. But you can understand and appreciate his greatness. I am not one of those people who will deny that Tom Brady is the GOAT. So for the Bucks, it's just, hey, okay, we've got Tom Brady. We need to do more. We're not complete yet. Right. I mean, I think this is the only scenario where you see us not franchise tagging Jameis Winston. When you have the chance to get the greatest quarterback of all time on your football team, one that's still hungry to play too, if that's not apparent with the contract that he signed with the team, I mean, circle the bandwagon fans. I know people are jumping on the butts bandwagon big time, and there's good reason for it. Uh, and I, I've never been more excited for an offseason move, especially with the general manager that I have personally not had good things to say about. Let's just say that. Yeah, um, for sure. And honestly, um, all great points. I mean, what a roller coaster it's been. So the Bucks started the offseason. Let, let's just go back to like early January. Uh, they went to the offseason debating whether or not they're going to re-sign the most polarizing player, inarguably, in NFL history. I mean, <laughs> love him or Jameis, love him or hate him. Jameis sure made for some must-watch football at all times. Whether he was turning the ball over or making just plays that nobody else could make, the guy was exciting. And I think that the assumption among all Tampa Bay fans was that the guy was going to be franchised, and that's how it was going to go. There are a lot of people that disagree with that, and then all of a sudden, Tom Brady becomes available, and the presumption was that he was going to go out west to maybe Vegas or San Francisco, and obviously that didn't happen. And I think it's one of the most surprising moves ever in NFL history. I really don't even know what to compare it to. I mean, you could say the Peyton Manning free agency to some degree, but it, but at least the team that he was moving on from was like, all right, we've got Andrew Luck. That's why we don't need Tom Brady, you know, in the bag here. But the, you know, the Patriots that they don't they don't exactly have somebody that they're moving on from, or they're moving on to, that people would be is the heir apparent. Uh, it's just a bunch of question marks. So why why let allow the goat to leave is one of the real questions there. I mean, I think that's, that it leads to animosity. I mean, there's got to be some untold story there that's been hidden behind the scenes in the Patriots' locker room, and I, I think that's the only way that you see this happening because there wasn't even a reach out. I don't think Tom Brady even thanked Bill Belichick on his exit either. I think there was kind of a little jab there where he didn't even give him any type of acknowledgement on the exit, and, and I believe that wholeheartedly that Tom wants to prove to the NFL that this wasn't a system quarterback thing. Nobody plugged me in and made these Super Bowl appearances for me because I was in that system. He's going to come in and prove something here. And in a Bruce Arians offense, I think Tom Brady might be one of the only quarterbacks that can come in and be successful in that first year. If you talk to Carson Palmer or any of the quarterbacks like Ben Roethlisberger that's been in the system, it's one of the most complicated, and I'm excited to see what Tom can do with it. For sure. Um, and one of the hallmarks of the Patriots franchise for so many years has been their ability to keep things under wraps. And then all of a sudden you saw in last offseason, you know, there was a little bit of tension uh, leading up to Brady's one-year contract that he signed. And I think that was like the first, you know, like like if you, if you are friends with like a, this great couple, right? And they seem to have it all. And then you see their first fight and you're kind of like, oh, shit. Maybe there's trouble in paradise. That's what I kind of thought at the end of the offseason last year um, was, holy shit, is this actually coming to an end? And then I think as, like, Kurt, was, Kurt you said it was, you know, you said it well, um, things are kind of 
trickling out slowly about the incident. And I'm I'm gonna go into that a little bit later. And I'm I'm not a Bucks fan. So we got we got two Bucks fans here in Curtin Newman. Uh presumably Newman's a Bucks fan, even though he also says he's a Jets fan. Um but two Bucks fans and one non Bucks fans. In fact, I've said for many years that the Bucks are one of my least favorite teams in NFL history. But I cannot I cannot deny what they've done this offseason and it's just been a great story. If you're not only a sports fan but you like a good story, this has had it all, has it not? Oh, it definitely has. And I, I believe you would rank the Bucks 32nd in terms of your favoritism for them. It's definitely changed recently. Um, I moved out west, and I developed a, a serious bad taste in my mouth for the Seattle Seahawks because their fans are just trash human beings. Um, but, no, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I, I've, been, I've been on the, the hate the Bucks bandwagon. Um, and to be fair, I've never once been on the bandwagon, so I'm not like the typical Tampa fan that's on and off and, and just kind of – dips their toes in the water when things are warm. Um, I've always kind of hated the Bucks, but I'm very fascinated by what's going on right now, which is why I wanted to do this pod. Yeah, so fair enough. I, I do want to give you a little bit of background about Kurt. Uh, his family, his grandfather and parents and stuff like that, had season tickets basically as long as I remember. Uh, so yeah, Kurt's fanhood should not be in question here. Uh, if you want to question mine, that's fine. But. I never question Kurt's. Banded. Shoot, back to the old sombrero. Yeah. I, I've actually been to a game in the old sombrero. It's my first NFL game, as a matter of fact. Oh, man, it was it was crazy. But, I mean, you're talking about you hating the Bucks. Try being a lifelong Bucks fan. Yeah. <laughs> Not hating every bit about it, except for when we changed our uniforms for the first time from the creamsicle orange to the pewter and red, finally starting to see playoff appearances and, and starting to see some promise. And, and then next thing we know, we have a playoff drought that – the league has never seen, maybe except with the Bengals, the next the next team that would be on that bandwagon there on that playoff record. So, I mean, for me, this is, this has never been more of an exciting time. I, yep. I think I think also one point that you did make there with uh, the the brief period of success that the Bucks did have doesn't that actually say something about how good of a like GM Rich McKay was and and how good of a coach Tony Dungy was for getting us to that level of sustained success. When in the rest of the history of the franchise, it's been pretty much utter shit. Well, and that's what everybody said. You know, that was Dungy's championship. That wasn't Gruden's championship. You know, Dungy put might as well put a bow on it for him. And he got booted out when he built the whole bones of that entire team, that entire franchise. When you talk about Sapp, Brooks, Lynch, I mean, all the staples, all Stott, these guys built that franchise. They were drafted in. These aren't guys that were signed in free agency or bought to make a franchise like some teams have done in the history. You know, you look at the Dallas Cowboys back in the day when you didn't have a salary cap and they bought those big offensive linemen that freaking dominated the league. And, you know, the Bucks never had that opportunity nor the funding to even do that in a small market team. So I was impressed to even have one Super Bowl. I'm happy about it. And I think we can pull another one coming up this season if if we have a season. <laughs> if you did pull a Super Bowl out it would be the greatest theft in NFL history. I would I would I would admire it, but I'd also just probably stop watching football. As a lifelong Vikings fan, to see a team just steal one like that, we almost did it with Brett Favre back in two thousand nine. Um, but yeah, uh, that would just crush me. So let's let's just let's just walk back. Let's go through the timeline of events because it it really is almost storybook like. It's very interesting, and the story's not ended. We still got to see what Brady does in Tampa. We still got to see where Jameis Winston ends up. Was it a huge mistake? We're going to talk about all this during this podcast. Um, if you're a Bucks fan, this is the podcast to tune into. Um, so let's get right into this. So w- what we wanted to do is kind of walk through a timeline of events because it's very interesting. 
So in 2015, uh, the Buccaneers, what were they go? One and 15 the previous year. It was a really bad season. Maybe two and 14. Doesn't really matter. Uh, they were the worst team in the NFL and they got the first round pick. A lot of people debated, you know, between Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. It was a very hotly contested art, you know, debate. And the first game that they both played was against each other. And Marcus Mariota passed for five touchdowns. Jameis Winston looked absolutely terrible through a pick six on his first NFL pass. And it was just a very bad start with the Buccaneers. But he went on to have a great season his rookie year. He did everything that I thought he was capable of, and I still think he's capable of. Um, and he was the Pepsi Rookie of the Year. He wasn't the official NFL Rookie of the Year, but whatever the fuck the Pepsi Rookie of the Year is, I mean, he was that. Um, so he had a great season, arguably his greatest season as an NFL player, which is interesting. That was with Lovey Smith. Uh, Dirk Cotter, I believe, was the offensive coordinator. Yes, that's correct. So uh, the following year, they decide to fire Lovey Smith. Now, let's just let's stop right there in the timeline. I just, I just want to get your guys' thoughts. What were your thoughts when they fired Lovey Smith? Were you were you for that? Like, do you think that was a mistake? Uh, th- this many years later, or like, what what happened there? And what were your thoughts on that? So for me, I was thinking about it from a perspective of how I always think about uh, you know football. Ultimately, my goal is to be great, right? Is to win championships. So good is the enemy of great, as Scott Van Pelt always likes to say. And I felt that Lovey Smith was not a coach that was actually going to take the Bucks to the promised land. So I didn't see any reason to continue to stick with him. Uh, the Bucks felt that they had something in Dirk Cutter as an offensive mind, and there was teams that were circling, you know, around like sharks that were planning on poaching cutter from the bucks so they were like all right well we're just going to promote him to the head coach get rid of lovey we'll fix the rest of the defense you know some other time and that that's going to be our recipe for success so at that point in time i was okay with moving on from lovey i wasn't sure that dirt cutter was necessarily the guy but i saw no reason in not letting that i I felt that transition couldn't hurt sure i mean for me lovey smith was always a coordinator and i don't see him in that head coach role i mean drew as a vikings fan i mean did you ever think leslie was it leslie frazier wasn't he the coach as well uh for it's the, actually a great comparison i mean it's it's because he was also tony dungy brand uh coach off of this coaching tree yeah leslie frazier and lovey smith both and that's what it reminded me of i don't think that it was there and dirt cutter did have the promise of coming in to be somebody who could revitalize the offense because we've always been known as a defensive franchise and as everybody knows the NFL rules have changed dramatically in these timetables too for the defense it's a pass happy league and you need somebody who's going to bring a dynamic offense I, I do believe in defense and defense does win championships you need to put one stout out there but if you can't put up points on the board you got Patty Mahomes throwing 48 points up on the board regularly you know with the breeze you got to be able to compete and a coach like Lovey Smith would not be able to do that in this league today yeah, I, I, I was actually calling for Lubby's head um, prior to Jameis being drafted. I, I, I thought, personally, if you're drafting number one overall and you're not on the hot seat, then there's something wrong with your GM. So I for me, personally, if you have the number one overall pick and say you weren't hired just a year prior, I think Lovey Smith had already coached for a couple of years. Um, that was his second season with the Bucks. was Jameis' first season. So, yeah. Okay. So, one, all right. Well, it, one, I, one previous year. I guess it does make a little bit more sense. But if if you're ever drafting at number one and you were the coach the previous year, you have some things to answer for. Um, and I thought personally, because I just never really liked Lovey Smith. I, I've seen him coach so many times. 
Um, I think that he fell into some great teams of the Bears. His winning percentage is actually really good in the NFL if you look at it. But I just never thought he was impressive. Blah, blah. So they move on to Cotter. I hated the Cotter hire from the very beginning. And from day one, I didn't like the way he was using Jameis. Um, so they kick around Cotter for, what, three years? Two years. No, I think it was four. Three. Or something. 2016, 2017, 2018. Okay, sure. So... Yeah, I mean, what, what were you guys' thoughts on Cotter? Did you, did you want him to leave, or what, what 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 were you thinking while he was coaching? So, yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people who I like aggressive offense, I like aggressive defense, and I felt that Dirk Cutter got to this point with Jameis where he was, like, holding him back. They weren't running schemes that would fit Jameis's skill set. You know, if you bring in this quarter, this this, you know, offensive coordinator to help with this quarterback untap his potential – put him in situations so that he could do play to the best of his abilities, right? They never did that. They always tried to slow the game down with, with you know, emphasizing running the ball with a bad offensive line and bad running backs. And they didn't just put the game in Jameis's hands like they should have. And they also didn't run a system that Jameis would excel at. So I, I quickly grew tired of Dirk Cutter, as I do with a lot of, you know, conservative-styled coaches. I mean, I was just trying to be optimistic and be patient. You know, when you start cycling through coaches, you know, two years after, what was it, Raheem Morris before that? With uh, the Shiano, actually. Or, oh, wow, Shiano. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. You know, when you cycle so many coaches through, it gets tiresome. You want to try to bow it and buy into somebody and say, hey, we hired Dirk Cutter. We're going to buy into this offense. Let's give it a few years. But, I mean, after you see two years, and, and like Newman was alluding to, the lack of a de development for Jameis that you saw from year one of Rookie of the Year to year two. And his, uh, granted, his QB rating was going up year to year. You just didn't see – that big play opportunity and cutter too. I felt like you saw that he was a rookie head coach, even after his first or second year mismanaging time timeouts at, and certain points of the game. And you could see it. And we lost games because of that a lot of close games too. When you look back at our records, there's a lot of games where we were losing by single digit points in years that really could have been successful over 500 years. And we just missed the mark. Yep. So the Cotter years are 2016 to 2018. Um, again, I was never a fan. I wasn't a fan of him from the very beginning. I thought a guy that they really missed on, actually, I'll just be completely honest. I thought they missed on two guys, and one guy I was very wrong about. I I was, I was really liked, I guess they were interviewing Doug Peterson at the time uh, when they were hiring Cotter, and then they were also hiring Adam Gase. I personally thought at the time both those guys were better options than Cotter. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, ultimately they went with Cotter, Potter, Peterson then went to the Eagles and won a Super Bowl. Adam Gase is a really bad head coach. So, I mean, that's kind of the nature. You know, it is kind of a lottery at times. And when you're looking at a guy's, like, coordinators, like Adam Gase with the Bears looked like a great coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. um, he looked like he would be a great head coach. It turns out the guy's kind of a fucking weirdo. Um, and so, <laughs> Looks yeah. like he's just done an eight ball. <laughs> yep. So, like, yeah, this is his first interview. It literally looked like he just did a giant line and was just trying to, like, get his mind right so he could, like, be good How for the interview. How do you know he didn't? <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. He was in Miami. So. You don't think yeah. all these coaches are juiced on Adderall, man? Friggin' stand oh, up watching sure. film for days. Going back to your Tony D'Amato on cocaine kind of thing, in Miami, you will have that. Yeah. So, 2016, Jameis narrowly missed the playoffs. Um... At a nine and seven record, a uh, 2015, he was the rookie of the year. 2017, 2018, much different stories. They had a three and ten, and then Jameis had a three and six record in 2018, and that's because 
going into the season, you know, with that off season, he had this incident with an Uber driver and he was essentially benched after that because of the play of <laughs> Fitzmagic, who seems to sweep in and make people forget that he's 35 years old all too routinely. Ryan Fitzpatrick gets to play every single year. They're, like he he always plays. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is, somehow he's going to wind up on the field. It's like Josh McCown's the same way. With Josh McCown is the Frank Gore of quarterbacks. 100% the dude is timeless. We're keeping this on the books, but I do just want to ask just a, a question for you guys cuz Fitzmagic is just a fascinating person. He's kind of like a a guy I would compare him to would be uh Jeff George. Remember Jeff George? No, Fitzmagic didn't have nearly the pedigree that Jeff George did. Obviously, Jeff George, number one overall draft pick when he came out. Mm-hmm. But Jeff George, you know, he sputtered out after his rookie contract, and then he went down this rabbit hole where he was just playing for different teams. He had a, actually had a really good season with the with the Vikings. Yeah. Um, and he he would start everywhere he went, and then he just kind of, he, he would prove himself, and then he would show why he was a bust. And he would prove himself, and then he would show why he was a bust. And that's what Fitzmagic does. Now, Fitzmagic still with the Dolphins, correct? Yep. Uh, yep. Dolphins yes. are almost 100% drafting a quarterback. So, I don't again, I don't want to go too far down this because we're keeping this with Bucks. but how, how many games does Fitzmagic play this, or how many does he start this year? Five? I want to say he starts a couple at the beginning, eventually seeds the rest of the game, and then pops up for, like, one more somewhere. I mean, I don't want to go too far down it, but I think there's still opportunity for the Dolphins to go to a quarterback in free agency. And one that comes to mind for me, especially with Flores, is Cam Newton. I mean, if they brought him in, I think he could fit into that system well and they could use those draft picks. I mean, the Dolphins, how many draft picks do they have coming up? 11, I I think. It's absurd. And why wouldn't you try to take a chance on Cam Newton behind Fitzpatrick too? I mean, they can fight it out during the the, uh, preseason and in the offseason and see who comes out on top. And if it's Cam Newton, great. You know you got Fitzmagic behind him if he goes down with an injury, if the shoulder doesn't turn out to be well. I think that's the best fit if I'm the Dolphins and Bryant Flores. I mean, again, we don't want to get on too far down this rabbit hole, but you just brought it up, and I have to say it because it's been on my mind for so long, which is that if you're a team and you're contemplating taking a quarterback and there are two former number one overall picks out there on the wire, I think you have to really reconsider if you aren't a – if you aren't all in on Tua or Herbert, to me, if you're not all in on Joe Burrow, then you're a fool. But if you're not all in on Tua or Herbert, you have to consider the contingency plan of potentially going to Cam Newton or Jameis Winston, and then just drafting one of these elite defenders that are up there and playing out your franchise like that. You already know what you have in Cam and Jameis. You know you could probably turn one of those guys around. Why not take the bigger talent if you have a question mark at quarterback? With with all the quarterbacks that have busted over the decades, and again, we don't want to go down too far down this rabbit hole, but um, so the the moral of the story is over four seasons, this is excluding his rookie year, Jameis Winston threw for 73 interceptions, which even as a Jameis Winston fan, I'll tell you that's really bad. Obviously, look at the numbers, that's 18 interceptions a year on average. That's really poor, especially in a game where, you know, in the 90s, you may not even have batted an eye at that because that's how quarterbacks used to be. I have a note here. Um, Jameis Winston's career passer rating to date is 86.9. Do you know what Brett Favre's career passer rating was? An 86. Yeah, I was going to say probably right right around there. So lower passer rating. And, you know, Brett Favre had some rough years towards the end of his career. But, I mean, overall, he played at a high level throughout his career. But 
In the 90s, you could get away with seasons where you pass for 27 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. Nowadays, you have to be more like Aaron Rodgers. You know what I'm saying? Like, So I get the knocks on Jameis. I really do. Just a few other quick numbers on Jameis. He is the Bucks' all-time leading passer in passing yards as well as passing touchdowns, but he is not the all-time leader in interceptions thrown, despite he being the all-time leader in attempts. Which is crazy. I mean, the guy threw for 30 last year. Yeah. Who uh, is? And, and uh, it's Vinny Testaverde with uh, quite a considerable amount more, 112 to Jameis's 88 on 400 less attempts, roughly, a little more than 400 attempts. So, yeah, Vinny Testaverde, who actually, if you look at the all-time standings in terms of passing yards for all of the NFL, he's, he's pretty, pretty high up there. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting stat for Jameis. And I would contest that despite the fact that Jameis threw all those 30 interceptions, if you look at his, if you actually go down, go back and look at the film, he's not really responsible for all of them. And you can say that about a lot of quarterbacks. But Chris Godwin came out and defended him. Carson Palmer defended him, uh, having played in a Bruce Arian system. And, you know, they, they said that they watched some tape and it's like the receivers aren't running the routes properly and they're cutting them short, et cetera. So, you know, that stuff happens. But 30 interceptions, I mean... Not all of them couldn't have been Jameis's fault, too. So, Speaking of Vinny Testaverde, I'm glad he brought him up. So Vinny Testaverde obviously drafted by the Bucks. Yes. Um, number one overall, correct? I don't recall exactly, but sh- It's probably. definitely up there. I believe yeah, it was number yeah. one overall. I just saw Vinny Testaverde, by the way, recently in person at a yeah, charity he, event in he Tampa. Out around here. He's one of the most hu- large human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. He's one of those guys, have you ever just seen a guy, and he's not that tall? Like, he's probably 6'4", but, you know, he's not, like, crazy tall. But he just looks so big just because of the human he is. It, it, the, the wingspan, anyways, I get why Vinny Testaverde was that guy. But Vinny Testaverde actually had a great career outside of the box. <laughs> he he went on and Shocking. Put, he put Exactly, that, that's what I'm saying. So are we going to see that with, with Jameis? You know what? Let's move past it. It's Brady's time, baby. Okay. So going into the 2020 offseason, I think the presumption by all Bucks fans, even fans that hated Jameis, and I know a lot of Bucks fans that just absolutely hate Jameis. And when you just absolutely hate Jameis that much, I just look at you like, this is what your team has been. This is what the Bucks are. Right, but were those people Florida Gator fans or Miami uh, Hurricanes fans? Because I knew mo- most of the people that really hated Jameis that I knew fell into one of those two categories. And let's be honest here. Jameis was a walking gaff sometimes, guys. I mean, he was putting himself out there to get made fun of left and right, whether it was eating W's or anything else. I mean, he was setting himself up at times. For sure, but the environment, I don't think, was ever conducive for him to be successful. And I don't think it's ever been conducive for anybody to be successful. So now we have the greatest quarterback of all time who comes in and just randomly... I mean, we went from... Is Brady signing with the Raiders and the 49ers to the Brady's are definitely signing or Brady is definitely signing with the Bucks. And that just seemed like <laughs> it was so quick the way it all happened. And then I started to question, and as I'm sure you guys did, was this just a cash tra- grab by Brady? Were you surprised when you heard about his contract? I for sure was a little bit. Um, it does make sense when you think about Brady. Brady has always been a guy who's taken less because Giselle makes all this money and he wants to win Super Bowl, so he takes a little less for the team so that the team can use that those resources. So it makes sense from that perspective, but I didn't think that 
he was going to take less to be the buck. You yeah, know? exactly. He, he, he had made some proclamations throughout the course of the season or something. Like he was going to try to get his money this off season was, was the, uh, the thoughts by, by a lot of people. And, you know, he came to the Bucks and he actually signed for less than the franchise tag would have cost the Bucks to sign Jameis. So, I mean, I, I was completely caught off guard by the, by the signing. I mean, to me, just like Newman said a min- just a minute ago is Brady was trying to get paid. It was everybody was alluding to that. It's his time now. He's been the team player and Brady it, it's his time to shine. You know, he's coming in TB12 program trying to prove himself and and then when they come out talking about 25 million, again it lets us know that there was bigger problems in the locker room in New England for him to take a deal like that. Why wouldn't he take the deal in New England then if that was going to work out for their cap room? And I'm pretty sure 25 million would uh, do you think New England would have went that way, 25 mil, or was that over what they were looking for? I think that Bilicek has become, I think that it's, I mean, look at the career they built together. I mean, Brady didn't just make nine Super Bowls and only six of them Bilicek was a part of. They've been connected to the hip since the beginning. So they built their career together. And I think that there was this tension because you only had one season, really, where you saw it without Brady. And it was successful, quote-unquote, 10-win season. You know what I'm saying? Was it 11? 11. I don't think it was. I think it was 11. Um, I don't believe it was, but we'll we'll, we'll check the uh, numbers on that one. I think they they definitely still won the division, but I think they won 10 games. No, no, they they didn't actually. The Dolphins won the division that year with Chad Pennington at quarterback. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, probably a 10-game season, 10-win season. Um, Regardless, 10 or 11 wins doesn't really matter. Um, I think Brady actually played the first game, so... Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. But he didn't finish it. He got hurt, um, like, early in that game. And uh, Kurt and I actu- uh, actually had him in fantasy. We took him number two overall uh, in a league that we shared shared the team. And uh, we still went on to win the championship that year, but we won't get into that. No one cares. <laughs> um, anyways, so... <laughs> Brady lands at the the team with the worst winning percentage in NFL history. Now, if you look at choices that other quarterbacks have made in Brady's position, you got Peyton Manning. He went to the Broncos. The Broncos' defense was very good before Peyton went there. Um, Brett Favre, he goes from the Jets. And to be honest, he got traded to the Jets. A lot of people forget that. Yes, he He got traded to the Jets. And then the Jets... He, reti- he kind of indicated that he was yeah. going to retire again. They released him. So the Jets were like, all right, well, screw this. We'll move on. Vikings signed him. By the way, the Vikings were a very good team the year before Favre went there. So Favre had his best season with the Vikings, but the Vikings were a good team. So th- these are all guys that are choosing these teams very strategically. The closest I could come to this in looking at great Hall of Fame players and going to other teams would probably be Joe Montana going to the Chiefs. Yikes. Yeah, <laughs> don't compare it to that for me because that's a nightmare scenario. Well, if it comes out, I mean Montana, like and, and he actually City. was decent, and he the beat Chiefs. the 49ers. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was a rough time for Joe at that point. A lot of people were harping on him, and, and success or not, I thought that was one. Of, I think I even watched a, a documentary with him talking about that being one of the darkest times for him leaving the 49ers and going to the Chiefs. But the thing is, with the NFL, you don't really ever see that not happening. Very, very few times does a quarterback actually retire with the team that he started out with and made his entire career. Like, who who do we see Russell Wilson with when he's in his mid-30s? You know what I'm saying? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has, I think, two more years on his contract. Does he try and play it out and maybe go to the Vikings? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you never, you, you never know with these guys. 
with the NFL more than any sport, I think you see these guys making these last minute changes at teams. Um, there's very few players that have really played out their entire career. I mean, Dan Marino is LA. one. Aikman. Elway. Um, Elway. But he did El- – I mean, Elway technically got drafted by the Colts. <laughs> yes, sure. He got drafted by the Colts. I know. I'm just, I'm he, just fucking – He played his entire playing career with the Broncos. Sure, but you get my point. Um, so Brady's choice of the Bucks is very interesting. Now, there are a lot of things to love about the Bucks. Arguably the best wide receiver duo in the league. I wouldn't even say arguably. I'll, I'll say that. That's, no, the best, yeah, yeah. that's the best wide receiver duo in the league. Um, a very solid tight end duo. Very solid to historically great overnight as of a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. The Grunk signing. Well, actually, let's back up. So I didn't believe in the Brady signing with the Bucks. I thought it was a cash grab. And then Indomitian Sue signs a $8 million contract with the Bucks. By the way, and Dominic Sue played football at a very high level last year. He's not just taking like a discount contract. He's playing with the Bucks because he wants to play with the Bucks, which I've no one's ever said that in history. Um, so he takes that, and then all of a sudden you see there's like this LeBron James-esque call to come play for the Buccaneers because now Brady is there. And I don't think anybody really took it seriously until Grunk. I mean... Did you ever think it was possible that Gronkowski would come back and play? I definitely didn't expect it. I know there was a lot of people, at least in New England, that were hoping that he was going to come back last year, uh, which never happened. And even he, he even joked when uh, Luke Keekley retired, he uh, you know wished him congratulations and stuff. And then he was like, "But I just got one question for you: When are you coming back?" Right? Like he was joking because like the fans had basically kept asking him that, and so it was kind of just this thing. Oh, he, he maybe he really is done. And then uh, the rumors and the whispers start start growing. But going to the Ndamukong Sue thing, I think part of that is also he really enjoyed playing in Todd Bowles' scheme uh, with the Bucks last year. And if you look at the numbers, they definitely show a really high-end performance out of him. So maybe he just really liked playing for Todd Bowles and he wanted to stay in the scheme because he had bounced around a little bit too much the last few years. Well, it's an aggressive scheme, similar to like when he was with the Lions. That, and that's what I think he likes about it, you know, when he was so dominant back in Detroit. And and that's what I think is what's so appealing to him. I mean, at this point, Ndamukong and Sue, he's retiring sometime soon. He's not going to be around much longer. Mm-hmm. And these guys want the rings. They chase it. I mean, in any sport, they're going to chase the ring. Whether you're Malone and, and uh, Peyton, Gary Payton chasing rings with the Lakers and everything else, it doesn't matter. These guys want to win championships because that is, at the end of the day, the biggest accolade in the sport. You can have MVPs, you can have Pro Bowls, you can have all this stuff, but everybody wants a Super Bowl. That's the number one ring that you want to show off at all times. Um, but with Gronk, I thought there was too much WWE, 24-7 champ, uh, CBD commercials. I mean, the guy looks slim and trim. He looks good, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't look like monster Gronk like on New England. And I'm just trying to be a healthy, healthy skeptic as a Bucks fan. I'm, I'm excited to have Gronk on board for sure. But I'm definitely interested to see what we do because you said two tight ends, but it's actually three. We got Cameron Brait, who we re-signed to a pretty big deal. O.J. Howard's still on his rookie first-round contract. And now Gronkowski. We've got a three-headed monster, but I think we've got opportunity to make moves there at the tight end position now with Gronk coming in. For sure. I mean, when I saw the words, Patriots agreed to terms on a trade with Gronkowski the Bucks. um, my immediate thought was, wow, a WWE wrestling national, maybe world champion you could consider, becomes an NFL tight end. Has that ever happened before? <laughs> Never in the history of the league. I do not think so. 
So is Gronk better known for football or WWE? I would say neither. He's he's more known for dancing and partying. I would say raging, gronking out. Gronk smash. The guy does everything great. He parties with the best of them. Um, he's a universal world wrestling federation champion. I mean, the guy does everything to the max. And now he's back in Tampa with his bros. What a storyline. So the Gronk timeline. So Gronk retires from the NFL. He hosts several successful party cruises. He becomes an NFL commentator. And then he becomes a WWE wrestler. And then in only his first few weeks as a WWE wrestler, he becomes a 24-7 champion. World champ. World champ. And then he retires from WWE, and he decides to become an NFL tight end. What, quite the interesting timeline. What's more interesting to you guys, Brady's timeline or Gronk's? Gronk's for sure. Also, Gronk probably, you know, had had plenty of esca- escapades with some some more interesting ladies than than Brady. Brady's probably sticking with one. Gronk, Gronk is a walking TMZ story. I mean, his is always going to be the more interesting thing, especially being a young single guy out there being crazy. I mean, nobody's living it up like Gronk. You know, Brady's more of the homey TV show where they're on TLC or do international home shop buyers with like a $5 million budget on a home. That's what I see with Brady and his family. But Gronk is definitely the story. And what better city for him to be in than Tampa Bay, man. I mean, come on. We got Spring Breakers was made here in this city. We are a spring break town, and, and, and Gronk fits right in for sure. He really does fit in. He fits in so much more well than Brady because people ask me, like, did you ever think Gronk was possible? And by the way, I've been saying for weeks that I thought Gronk was coming to Tampa. Um, I even satirically ended one of my articles just two weeks ago saying that Gronk was about to shack up with uh, fellow Florida man Brady. What, what's the name of that article? Um, or Brady and Giselle announced divorce over Brady's new salt life sticker. <laughs> um, <laughs> go on the sportsbeamery.com if you want to read it. But it's it's just a fascinating two two very strange timelines and they connect. Um, and by the way, we've been mentioning over and over again. More things are coming out about the turmoil that took place in New England, and it's fascinating. For me, I'm watching from the sidelines. And have you ever watched a movie or a show? Actually, more accurately, a show. And in the first couple episodes, the guy that you think's the enemy, all of a sudden you start to like him towards the end. That's what I'm feeling here. I'm feeling all these thoughts I never thought possible. Like, am I taking Brady's side in this Patriots divorce? I don't know. But I'm very intrigued by it. I'm I'm in on it. You could call me one of the bandwagon Bucks. Not fans. I'm not going to say fan, oh, but you could call not. me. You could call me a bandwagon's bucks follower for sure, because I'm fucking all in on it. As contributors to a sports meme website, oh my god, content fucking gold. Brady and Gronk must have seen the sports memory launch last August and been like, "We got to get there. They need something. Tampa sports are boring." The sports world needed them. They do. This 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 is the weirdest thing. In in a year where we're all sitting in our houses for months, quarantine, something that's never happened in the world, Brady might as well go to the Bucks and be joined by the greatest tight end of all time. So the Bucks go from a middle of the road team with a very questionable quarterback to the greatest quarterback of all time and arguably the greatest tight end of all time. And the 
best wide receiver duo in the league that we just talked about. I mean, talk about weapons. It's unreal. Talk about a kid in a candy store that Brady has never had. He's always worked with the knockoff brand, the great value soda. Come on. Like, mom, dad never went out and got him the Pepsi, the Coca-Cola products, and Brady's in heaven. Hold on a second there. Brady played with one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. The greatest. Okay, Randy Moss, dude. I understand one of the greatest seasons of all time, but that was an all-around incredible team. Team, But I wouldn't say from an offensive weapon standpoint, you're not looking at first-rounders uh, like Mike Evans, somebody like Chris Godwin, who was a high second-round pick. I mean, these guys are shaped around the team. O.J. Howard, first-round pick. I mean, all these guys were built for the quarterback, for Jameis to have somebody to throw to. Sure. And like I said, I feel like the Patriots always pieced together those kind of things for Tom. And Tom always had to take, again, what we talked about, the pay cut for that to happen. And now he's got all the toys in the tool shed as that he wants. And, and that it, he's still taking a smaller contract at 25 mil. Well, let me ask you a question. What's the bigger threat to Gronk as a person? Is it his reportedly bad back issues which have been plaguing him for years? Or is it drowning in pussy in Tampa? (laughs) (laughs) What's the bigger threat to his career? Yes. (laughs) Both? Can Can we go both? I mean, we're talking about Florida men, right? What's more of a Florida man than a guy that went from sports commentator, WWE world wrestling champion to Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I can't think of a much more Florida path. Dude, tell me you don't see him on Hogan's beach with Hulk Hogan hosting oh, beach parties dude. here coming up. It's happening for sure. What, what are the 28 inch pythons? I like, dude, a grunk's definitely got bigger pythons right now than Hulk Hogan. Didn't, think didn't about he that. lead? Didn't he lead the Gasparilla parade one year? Did he? I, I think he did. That sounds uh, he's incredible. definitely attended the Gasparilla Parade on multiple occasions. How did we not see this coming? In Tampa. <laughs> How did we not see this coming? I, I think there's a chance he may have convinced Brady to come to Tampa. He's like, hey, man, come down to Tampa. I'll arrange them to trade me down there because I say I won't play anywhere else, and uh, they'll, they'll do it. It's actually it's an interesting conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, Tom maybe Brady. They, maybe they've thought about this the whole time. Jason Light did say to, that Tom Brady was the one who was like, "I this is the reason I want to be there." Right? Maybe Tom Brady laid out the plan for him and was like, "Yeah," and we'll get Gronk. And they're like, "Wait, Gronk's coming with you?" I mean, why not? I mean, why why wouldn't you? And we talked about the turmoil in New England, and and what another way to kind of affirm that where Gronk wouldn't come out of retirement to play in New England when Tom Brady was still there. Why for wouldn't sure. he do that? There's got to be, again, something deeper deeper rooted that kept him from coming out of retirement to not want to come play, which what I think is for Bill Belichick. I think at times when you do it for this long, no matter what, whether you're winning or losing, people get burnt out. And and I think Tom Brady alluded that, too, a lot on social media this offseason, talking about family life, talking about work-life balance, different types of things. And not to say he's not going to work hard or anything for the Bucs. I think we proved that when he was out at a park just recently and the police came up and kicked him out of the park. He was sighted at a a park. Yeah, too too bad on that. I I don't know. I wish the mayor would have got a hold of them, told him back off, let let him keep going because we need a Super Bowl. I'm okay with preferential treatment for Tom. He can go out and train all he wants. No big deal. I think going back to that Gronk with uh, the Patriots issue, I think part of that mostly stems from the incident where they attempted to trade him to the Lions. Do you recall this? They attempted to trade him to the Lions, and Gronk was like, no, I'm not going to the Lions. I'll just retire. There's no way I'm going there. And uh, so they wound up not trading him, 
and then he played that season, and then that was his last season with with the with the Patriots. Now let's table the turmoil for a second because let's just isolate Gronk for a second. So the trade itself is a fourth rounder to New England, uh, a one thirty nine. The seventh goes back to Tampa Bay. So Tampa Bay gets Chad. New England gets seventh round pick. Gronk now coming back into the league. And we've seen players that have taken a year off and come back. How, how does he rank just right now? What, what, who would you put him ahead in terms of tight ends? Like realistically, what is, is well, let's just ask the question. Is, is Gronk a top well, five tight well, end? Well, who's he behind, right? I think that's the easier list. Obviously, he's ahead of a lot of them. Um, he's behind Travis Kelsey. He's behind Zach Ertz. And he's behind Kittle. I think nobody's going to question that. The other, the next question is: Is there anyone else that you would put above him? I mean, can you? I, I don't know if you've got this pulled up or not, but can you pull up some statistics on some tight ends? I mean, Austin Hooper had a really good season last year. There's not a chance in hell I'm taking Austin Hooper over Gronk. No, I mean from a fantasy perspective, he's definitively the fourth tight end, right? I think you can safely put him there. But Ertz, you know, Ertz had kind of a questionable year last year. He he was fed the ball a lot. Is Gronk more talented? I think so. I think more talented, and plus you got Dallas Goddard there too, who is dude. That guy's a beast. I mean, I had him in he's fantasy. Stealing a lot of oh yeah, a lot of touchdown vulching going on there. But he's a big target, and anybody like you mentioned to fantasy. I mean, that's kind of uh, I think everybody's nightmare. The tight end position. It's just like a, for a sure rolling the dice unless you have one of those top tier guys, um, underrated guys. I mean, I think Greg Olson's been one of the top tight ends. I mean, for a very long time. I mean, I think he's got Hall of Fame written on his on his name for sure. One of the top guys up there. Eric Ebron's come out as one of the top tight ends too these last couple of years in uh, Indianapolis, and he was a first uh, first round pick, and he sputtered out in Detroit. But I, I do believe that Gronk is definitely in the top five. But you got young talent too that doesn't have the same skill sets as Gronk to be able to not only run routes, but also block. So like Evan Ingram in New York, he's more of one of the flex tight end kind of guys that's out there running in almost a slot position can help chip on the, on the edge rushers. And then also burn a linebacker with that four, 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 three, uh, 40 speed. So, I mean, overall, I think Gronk, he's sitting in the top five coming out of retirement. Yeah. And I think you could even debate three. I would take Ertz over him just because of the health factors, I think. But uh, and and the counted on volume that we're going to see for Ertz, because realistically, Philadelphia still doesn't have the uh, the other pass catchers around him to take away from him. Well, and f- from a fantasy perspective, let's be real. OJ Howard was touted as the top three, top five tight end going into last year. Yes, I mean, let, let's face it, OJ Howard's career up to last year, nobody really questioned the OJ Howard um, draft up until last year. And guess what? This is not new with Bruce Arians. Uh, name a great tight end that played for Bruce Arians and the Cardinals. It They didn't exist. Bruce Arians' offense has really never been all that complimentary of tight ends, going all the way back to Pittsburgh. Um, and we actually talked to some Pittsburgh fans earlier, and they mentioned Heath Miller. <laughs> like, uh, I, I literally my exact words were, name a great tight end that, uh, Bruce Arians has ever coached and they said Heath Miller which I had to laugh because if you're including Heath Miller in that list then uh, 
Kyle Rudolph is a great tight end and should be a Hall of Famer. Like, Heath Miller, come on. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I can't think of a more average tight end. He's a good player. I think he was a good little player. above average, but I wouldn't call him a great player, that's for sure. Exactly. And the, the, the question was great NFL player, and they, of course, two Steeler homers mentioned Heath Miller, of course. Um, so what do the Bucks do with this tight end glutton that they have? Because you got... Gronkowski, you got Howard, you got Brait. You got a great receiving tight end in Brait. Um, you have a really good blocking tight end in Howard, but questionably a receiver from last year. Only from last year, by the way. Going into last year as all systems go for Howard. My question is, what does Bruce Arians' offense do to Gronkowski? So the Bucks actually were one of the leaders in passing out of 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. They definitely like having two tight ends on the field. I think if you're the Bucks, what you try to do is see if you can get something in trade for Cameron Bray. OJ Howard can still be a lot of times your blocking tight end. Like you said, Gronk is also a good blocker. So the two of them skills actually pair well with each other. If Cameron Bray is kept and OJ Howard is shipped off, that means that Gronk has to then become the blocking tight end and Bray pretty much really only can be a passing tight end. Yeah, but Brait was just re-signed to a new contract, so that's going to mean a lot of dead cap space for the Bucs if actually, they trade him. Actually, he was signed to a contract that would reduce his total, um, and he only has two years left on that deal. So it, 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 he, he actually, his cap hit actually is lower than it was uh, due to the new contract. That he lower signed. than Howard's? Uh, it's lower than it was if it for him. I know. So it reduced, Low, lower than Howard, who's on his rookie contract. It's probably I, I think it's probably it actually less. Is. They probably have less to lose by trading Howard. So so yeah, but you also lose the value of, that is OJ Howard, and OJ Howard is worth worth more. In what is trade. that value? Right. Well, well, that's the question we don't know. So debate. It was debated last year. Rumors came out that the New England Patriots had offered a first round draft pick for Howard at the trade deadline. And Jason Light said no. One, if that if he did in fact say no to a first round draft pick, another point in Jason Light's column as being an idiot. Two, I do not think that they actually that was that was what the real offer was. We don't actually have any information on this, but I don't think that they actually did that. So uh, for me, OJ Howard is the guy that you try to keep. What would it take to for me to trade OJ Howard? I would need at least a second plus an additional pick in order to pull the trigger on a trade. And I'm thinking like a mid-round pick, not a late pick, like fourth or fifth uh, and, a, and a second at, at minimum. Sure. I mean, somebody's got to be the odd man out for sure. And obviously it's not Gronk. We know that. So it's down to OJ and Brait. And, I mean, it depends on where you can get the value. I mean, I think there's things out there. Me, personally, I mean, in my pipe dreams, I know Trent Williams doesn't want to play for the Redskins. The Redskins don't have anybody at tight end. Who was it last year? I think uh, Vernon Davis was their tight end last year. And one other person, they got rid of somebody that was injured all the time as well. Jordan Reed. And Trent Williams doesn't want to play there. We need to address the offensive tackle position, and I think the value could be there with an O.J. Howard more than a Brait. I think that he's more appealing to other teams, not only with the contract, but also his age and his upside. And I think we can get something for him that could, not only if it's in the draft, with one of the big um, signings, like I said, Trent Williams for the Redskins. That's somewhere where we need to address big time is Tom's uh, blind side. And you guys talked about Bruce Arians' offense not being friendly to tight ends. I think he's more adapted to tight ends knowing that our offensive line is our weakness. When you got Donovan Smith lining up at left tackle or Alex Kappa at right guard, I mean, you don't even know those names. Nobody knows who those guys are because, unfortunately, they're mediocre players. And we're going to have to bring tight end sets in to – 
uh, heed some of that pass rush coming in from the NFC South, especially when we're playing these teams two times a year. But what team couldn't use Trent? I mean, it was it was talked about all last season. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in a negotiation session between Bucks GMs and Redskins GMs. How terrible would that be? A shit show. You right, know what? Right now or, or in pa- or in the just, past? You know what? Fuck it. Just go ahead and, like, that would be I, – I can't even imagine how awful that <laughs> negotiation would go because neither knows value. It's just it, – it's insane. Um, so, of course, everyone would want Trent. I mean, he, he was he was talked about all last year. And people were like, why aren't the Redskins trading this guy? And with the Bucks, exactly like what you said. If the Patriots truly did offer a first-round pick and they refuse that, then they're absolute fools. Morons. What what I mean, realistically, what can OJ Howard get right now? Third? I, I, I mean, that's what we don't know. I, I think somebody might be able to might be willing to give you a second, probably just a second. I don't know that they would give you a second plus, which is what I would want. Man, I don't, I don't think so. I because at this point, if you're a negotiator, if you're in sales like I am, you know there's two different sides of the transaction. There's what you have and what you can use. Every team knows that the Bucks can only line up in so many three tight end sets. For me personally, I think that the best compliment for them is Grunk and Break because you got the great passer Pat, the great blocker in Grunk, and you got the great receiver, not great, but really good receiver in Brait. Um, Howard's also a really good blocker. If you could take Grunk and Howard, but because you have the three, I would argue that the best compliment is Brait and Grunk, not Howard and Grunk. See, but- I, I think that that limits you to making block uh, Grunk your blocking tight end. I would rather have the ability to use both as either a blocker or pass catcher and I think that allows more for the offense because the defense would not be able to be like there's our passing tight end we got to cover that guy there's the blocking tight end we can play him a different way but you're assuming that Arians knows how to use a receiving tight end he really doesn't so here's what we we heard out of some ESPN analysts that were all on the Grady to the Bucks and he's going to fit well with Arian's system supposedly the Bucks are going to cater the system to help Brady and Brady's going to have uh, an input in how the system is run and plays are called. If that is the case, then you can utilize both of those tight ends in that way, and that's what the Bucks should do. Does that make you comfortable, though, as a Bucks fan? Did you ever hear about that in the Patriots? Do, do you know how much did, did Tom Brady have to do with the Patriots' offense over his entire career with the Patriots? Or was Bilicek always pulling the strings? See, there's so many question marks because you don't know. Well, I think it was Josh McDaniels, not Belichick, I, I, especially when it comes to the offense. I mean, when you see the well, common I mean, they've had, they've had Bill O'Brien was yeah. the offense coordinator I mean, they've there had for a while. So many Charlie offensive coordinators. Offense coordinator there for a while. I think Brady had input at least later in his career for sure. Uh, I think him and McDaniels worked re- really well together, and that's one of the things that made them so effective on offense for most of the years that he was there. Do you re- yeah, I, man, I think low-key McDaniels might be a part of the Brady problem because well, the second that he got there, there was trouble in paradise. I mean, not, not the second they got there, but after he got there again for the second time, it seemed to develop like there was all of a sudden these issues that you didn't even know were out there. I think Brady and Bilicek have been each, at each other's throats for a while, and it's just now coming out. Certainly possible. Two big heads. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many Super Bowl performances until these two massive egos start to 
fight each other. You know what I'm saying? And they want to pretend like they're humble. Bill Belichick wants to be, oh, I'm the somber, quiet guy. But we all know that dude in his brain, he knows he's the king. He's got the most rings. He knows he's the best in the league. He knows he's got the dynasty. You see the smugness on his face. I mean, and it's well-deserved. I mean, you can't argue that. Nobody's done what he's done. Nobody. But that brings me to the point, is he still the best in the league, right? Well, definitely an interesting topic to come up with and and interesting because – Brady's gone. Gronk's gone. People are leaving. Poor Julian Edelman crying up in New England all by his lonesome. I mean, I, I think there's definitely, you know, we, we use the cliche, you know, trouble in paradise, and, and we're seeing it now with these guys on the move. I think there's some dark days coming for New England, and I can't wait to watch it. And I think we're going to see some pretty ugly stuff, not even just football-related coming out of that because there's just too many weird things going on from Robert Kraft doing rubbing tugs, from Deflate Gates, from Spy <laughs> Gates, from what happened up in the Bengals uh, press box this past year. I mean, it's one thing and after don't the forget, next. After don't the forget next. the draft this year where Hackgate is going down. Oh, yeah. Or, or, or <laughs> Coronagate. Coronagate. Now, now we've got Russian hackers going to hack into the NFL draft. And <laughs> so 2019, interesting year. Because Brady may have played with the worst offense he's ever played with. But he also probably played with the best defense he's ever played with. Very interesting. I mean, definitely the best cornerback he's ever played with. Just lights out last year. Uh, their secondary was historically great. Watching watching that product on field was unreal. And watching Brady struggle in some of these situations was very interesting. So I'm going to give you the raw numbers. Newman's going to give you the uh, uh, actually um, PFF rated numbers. But the Bucks defense in 2019, so, so the New England defense was exceptional last year. I think they were number one passing defense, and I'm not even sure what they were for rushing, but I know they were a top 10 defense, probably top five. Uh, 29th in points allowed. This is the Bucks defense in 2019. So 29th in the league in points allowed. 15th in overall yardage, and it gets worse. The passing defense last year was the 30th ranked passing defense, and that's purely aggregate yards allowed. The rushing defense was the best in the league. So how fucking polarizing is that? 30th in passing yards allowed, first in rushing yards. In why, fact, why would was, you run if you can throw? It was a historically good uh, rush defense. So this is going to blow your fucking mind. But I pulled some stats. So I, I, just, I just pulled the greatest top 10 rushing defenses of all time from a Bleacher Report article. And I chose the most recent which was the 2015 Denver Broncos. So the 2019 Bucks rush defense allowed 73.8 rushing yards per game. The 2015 Denver Broncos allowed 83.4. That's almost 10 yards a game more. Uh, that's pretty exceptional. So there are some parts about the Bucks defense that are very likable, but man, that secondary was horrible last year. And one of the youngest in the league, though, too. When you look back on it, you had rookies coming in and in Todd Bowles' scheme, and it's an excessive, aggressive blitz defense. Complicated schemes. I think that's why you saw us. I mean, we're, we're rushing the quarterback, and we're also filling up those holes. That's why you see a rush defense that was so good. But when you have guys like Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Button, uh, Bunting, these guys are 21 years old, 22 years old, lining up in man-to-man. 
And they're on an island out there, and, and they learned as the season went on. Jamel Dean ended up having, some, I think, the most pass deflections, uh, some, one of the top cornerbacks in the league in pass deflections, and I think led rookies, all rookies in pass deflections. So there is promise with the young guys that we drafted. Uh, super excited about Mike Edwards at safety, too. Uh, came out of Kentucky and had a monster year last year as a rookie safety. And if we can make some moves here in the draft, which is – I mean, we've got an offensive line heavy and a big defensive draft coming up. I think the talent is huge, and the Bucks can make some moves coming up. So I'm going to give you the, some of the advanced, advanced statistics on the Bucks defense to make you realize that it's not as bad quite as you thought it was. So the Bucks actually ranked 12th in, against the pass per DVOA for 2019. Now, part of that uh, is I think one of the main issues that the Bucks had was Vernon Hargraves sucked. Okay, he got cut. When he got cut, the Bucks defense actually stepped forward and was better. Another thing that you can look at, to your point, when you have really young rookie and second-year DBs, Carlton Davis uh, is underrated uh, for sure. But when you have these really young DBs, they take time to develop at the NFL level. But Todd Bowles does an exceptional job of developing DBs. And if you look at throughout his career and all of his stops, they've always done so. Okay. So that's why the Bucks defense is on the rise in terms of getting better because the secondary is actually not that bad. They have really good young players that are just, you know, more reps is going to help them. And having Tom Brady in practice is only going to make them better players. Um, going back to some more of the advanced statistics, if you actually look at the weighted ranking for the Bucks defense, they come out third overall. Now, the weighted ranking for DVOA actually puts more emphasis on the end of the season versus the beginning of the season because it's kind of like as you anything with your trends, you know what I mean? You always want to put more weight on the most recent occurrences. Uh, so, yeah, the Bucks defense actually isn't that bad. But going back to the DVOA, they're actually ranked number one overall against the run, like you said. So not only number one against the run in the raw stats, but also number one in DVOA. PFF has the Bucks at number 19 in terms of their sec just their secondary because the subtraction of Vernon Hargraves is actually addition by subtraction, and the young players developed. Hey, where did Hargraves play in college? I, I believe he was a Gator. Oh, shit. Oh, who? what GM drafted him to? Jason Light? Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Five foot eight, runs a four, ever 40. I, Vernon Hargreaves, I was cringing when we took Vernon Hargreaves. Like who, I said, who was the bigger bust, Jameis or Hargreaves? Oh, come on, man. Jameis was actually productive in his who's, career. Who's, who's more hated? Oh, Jameis, for sure. Jameis, you know, he takes on more of the blame because he's the quarterback. I mean, just so. the history of Jameis between college, crab legs, all the freaking history that comes with it, man. It, unfortunately, it never shook him. And people have kept that attributed to him. And what makes people think about college and, and those decisions when you're coming up in college and trying not to make those mistakes because you know people, the only way to shake him is winning. And Jameis wasn't able to do that. Yeah, man, I just want to throw a little side note. Um, there was a guy that we met because uh, when, the, when the Vipers came to town, we actually bought season tickets. And we met this guy behind us, and he, he – he runs a company called Bucks Life Media, and uh, he was a big Jameis fan, by the way. He, he he loves the Brady signing, but he, he's been posting a lot of stuff in support of Jameis and, like, just thank you for everything you did. And one of the things that he posted, it kind of made me tear up a little bit, which was this fan, this asshole, typical Tampa fan. And he had a jersey. It was a Jameis Winston jersey, and he put uh, – it was, like, tape or – I don't know what it was. It looked like in the picture – it was like he took tape and he put it through the Winston on the back part of his jersey. 
but apparently he had stumbled in this opportunity where he got to meet Jameis Winston. So he walked up to Jameis Winston with this jersey that said Winston on the back, and he had it X'd out with tape. And you know what Jameis did? Didn't even hesitate. Signed the jersey. Signed the jersey of this guy that's clearly spent all of his time hating him. Probably his entire career. Probably he's a UF fan. So I'm just saying, Jameis Winston threw for 30 interceptions last year, and I get that. I, 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 as a fan, I, I could totally understand turning against him, but man, I've seen some really dark and just dirty things thrown Jameis's way. All the guy ever tried to do is play quarterback for the franchise. And are you in a better place right now? Very likely. You got Gronkowski and Brady now on your team, but I can't help but feel very bad for Jameis Winston, who all he ever did was love this city, you know? And want to win. Exactly. Jameis is motivated by winning, and if just you like Brady. If you don't think his high turnover percentage has to do with a guy that was playing with a very poor offensive line and running game, shoddy running backs his entire career, then you're fooling yourself. So, it you know, I, that's why that's what makes this soap opera so interesting, right? Because it's not like they're bailing on a guy that was just completely awful. He was he, he was very questionably bad. But man, Jameis Winston so polarizing, and it's just it's just bizarre to me. And, and this is from a guy outside looking in. Well, it came from huge highlight reel too. I mean, it's not like he's throwing thirty picks and it has nothing to show for it. He's throwing for over five thousand yards last year. Yeah. I mean, he's freaking twenty six years old. Like people are writing Jameis off, and he's done nothing but put up numbers. Yeah, too many interceptions, too many pick sixes. I understand it, but I've been somebody who's been on Team Jameis for a long time. I wanted the franchise tag him, and the hindsight, like right now, the grass is greener on the other side. We say we've got Brady, we've got Gronk, but healthy skepticism too. They've got to produce. Like you can put a good team on paper, just like the Cleveland Browns did, and what happened last year? Yes. I mean, complete shit show. I mean, you got freaking people clunking quarterbacks on the heads with helmets and all kinds of nightmares up there. And, and it can very well happen. And, and I don't want to put the bad juju out there, but as a Bucks fan, trust me, they've disappointed me before. I've been there. And, and I just want to make sure that everybody's not jumping on and, and already writing up the Super Bowl when we haven't even done a, a off season. We haven't seen Tom in there. We haven't seen Gronk out on the field running like you alluded to injuries and nagging injuries for him. Are they going to come back and flare up? We don't know when you're getting hit real hits in the game. I mean, that changes big time. I, th I think you bring up a really good point is the Bucks are not a finished product. And so what fans need to understand and the team needs to understand is you've got Brady signed for two years. That's two years. You need to push all in as an organization and make every effort you can to win a Super Bowl within that two years or two, right? If you have the luxury to win one, maybe you can win two. But that you can't just half-ass it. You can't, oh, we're going to play in the bottom of the free agent market. No, you need to go out there and get the best players you can. You need to take take your next two, two or three drafts. And if you have to sacrifice the future, do it. Because now is your window. Go out there and get it done. Well, I think the whole NFC South got that message. I mean, probably, arguably on paper, at least the toughest division in all of football. I mean, if what from what the Saints did last year, from what the Falcons just did in the offseason, talk about offensive weapons. Holy shit. Well, and even think about the Panthers. Remember how hot the Panthers started out at the beginning of last year? And it wasn't to anything to do with 
with Cam Newton. I mean, the at the beginning of last year, Carolina was running away with that division. It was weird. Over over the first five games, weren't they five and zero? Like they they had this epic collapse. Um, I know they started out really hot. I think they lost to the Bucks week two, actually. But you're right, Kyle Allen, I think, came in at quarterback, and he actually yes. sparked fire. He yeah. was putting people up in fantasy, and, and he did. There was a weird thing going on in the NFC South where you weren't really sure what was going to happen. And But the Saints, Drew Brees, in true fashion, and luckily, thanks to Teddy Bridgewater, let's not forget that. I mean, what did he go, 5-0? and 4-0. 4-0 coming in. I mean, that, that carried the, the torch, too, and, and passing it to Drew, who carried it through as well as a true pro. I mean, one of those guys that's Tom Brady-esque when you want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, in context of the NFC South, there's so many storylines I can't even begin. It's Drew Brees' last season. They've announced that already. Teddy Bridgewater, after rallying and coming back from an injury that nobody really thought he'd come back from, is now the starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, who are already a really good team. They lose arguably their last, their best player and Hall of Fame middle linebacker um, Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley. Uh, but I still think that's going to be a solid team. And then the Atlanta Falcons. Who- hold, hold on. And, and, and the Panthers bring in Joe Brady, who was just, you know, the guy who organized the greatest offense in the history of college football with Joe Burrow and that, the numbers that they put up. He's now the offense coordinator in Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would actually be more excited about their head coach hire than I would be about their offensive coordinator well, hire. Well, but. well, Brady and uh, Bridgewater actually worked together with the Saints because uh, um, Joe Brady was with the Saints before he took the, the offensive coordinator job at LSU. So they're already familiar with each other. No, I know about Brady. I'm just saying that um, I, I can never get overly excited about just a coordinator. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, I, I do get excited about a coordinator. I don't think a coordinator in itself can just alter an entire team. Um, they're, they're head the coaching... Offense is going to run with the two of them with familiarity with each other and the style that we've seen out of Joe Brady. There's 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 reason to be hopeful if you're a Carolina Panthers fan. We'll see. Yeah. Um, no, I'm certainly optimistic about uh, Bridgewater in general. Um, I think that I w- I would love to see that guy just come out. But let's 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 move past Brady and Grunk. We've talked a lot about him for an hour and ten minutes to be exact. Um, let's move on to the draft. You got Brady now. You were just saying. You got to go on on Brady, and I agree with that. You got two years of Brady. So what do the, what do the Bucks need to do this offseason, specifically in the draft, which is tomorrow, which, if you're listening to this, is today. What do the Bucks need to do to give him the best shot to bring another championship to Tampa? Uh, protect Brady. <laughs> you just signed the golden boy. And whether you're on the TV 12 program or not, when you're in your forties and you're getting hit by 300 pound plus men, that's not fun. When you're on your back, that's not going to work. We need to put the, that protection around Brady and it starts at offensive tackle in the first round and it's got to be addressed. And luckily in this draft, it's one of the deepest offensive tackle drafts and offensive line drafts in general that I've seen in a really long time. But that's the first address need is as offensive tackle, if not in the draft, in the free agency, whether that's um, Jason Peters or trying to do something in a trade. Yeah, there's actually potentially somebody suggested seven offensive tackles could go in the first round of this year's draft. I don't think that actually happens. I think it's probably more like four to five. But the fact that even seven are being considered is insane because the last few years, we have not had any good tackles come out of the college level. So yeah. the, the Bucks really need to capitalize. The last time the Bucks drafted an offensive tackle in the NFL dra- first round of the NFL draft was Kenyatta Walker. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. Bust. 2004. So is this the time is this the time for the Bucks to draft their talent or should they perhaps explore using their draft capital to get guys that they know are good right now? A guy from Washington perhaps. I think that's a good outlook for sure. Not only just with the dra- where we're at in the draft and teams wanting to move up into our position, but what we talked about earlier in the tight ends. If we want to use whether it's Braid or OJ Howard, it, I don't. I honestly, the preference it doesn't bother me either or. But one of those guys has to move because we have a third guy that you know. This is as a diehard Bucks fan, Tanner Hudson, who he actually made the team surprisingly last year and is an extremely good blocker, good route runner, and good hands. So he can fill in the third tight end spot if needed for goal line and things of that nature but I think we could use that at some point like you alluded to with Washington with Trent Williams and we've got the capital I think you go for it why would you take the risk on an offensive tackle bust when there are so many here and if you look at the history of offensive linemen especially the great ones the guys who are pro bowlers the guys who are all pro they're not first round picks <laughs> they're third round picks That's fourth round not picks. true I think some of the Bates Orlando guys. Pace, Walter Jones, um, and uh, no, but I get what he's saying. Um, you, there, there, of course, you can Joe Thomas. You can well, point when to you're exceptions. the freaks. Yeah, the first number yeah, ones talking, or number I'm two talking overall. About the all time for the every, best of all time are all first round. For, for every for every Orlando Pace will throw at me. I'll give you a Robert Gallery. Well, yeah, and the Bucks are not in that position. We're not top three, top five pick to get that kind of offensive tackle where you're like. Oh shit! Look at this monster! Like he's that's a that's a overall that's a number one pick right there at a tackle. But we're not in that position, right? When we're getting later in the draft, I mean, if we get Thomas from Georgia that comes in, yeah, he's got all the talent there. You see it, but if it doesn't transform into the into the league, you're in big trouble. You just took that first round pick where if you use that capital and the tight ends that you have that are talented and get somebody like Trent Williams right now. How do you not take that deal? How do you not try to go and be aggressive and lock that in where you've seen the proofs in the pudding with Trent? Well, and you never know if you're going to get like a Laramie Tunzel or a uh, Matt Coyle. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the thing is like there, there's so many, there's such a massive bipolar aspect of drafting offensive linemen in the first round. Mm-hmm. They can come around first year. Sometimes it takes them years to develop where they're not productive until two or year two or three. Right. Um, that's the thing is you already know who's good out there. Why not just use some of that draft capital? You're going all in. You I, took Brady. You, you just passed on your you. number one overall pick. You're going all in. So I, that that's my thing about the Bucks is I think they might be one of the biggest movers or shakers if they're smart in the draft, which is just taking your draft capital and maybe moving it for because there's a lot of guys that are looking to move up. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of teams that are looking to move up. Why not take that draft capital, dangle it out there, see what you can get, see if you can ransom Land some Trent Williams, you know what I'm saying? And maybe a guy like Larry Tunsil uh, hits a gas mask bong before the draft and he falls to the yep. Bucks later down. You never know. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let's uh, let's send him some gas masks. <laughs> yep. Um, so, some other needs the Bucks need to address. Uh, you absolutely have to address the running back position. I think you can do that in the draft because running back is not a position that you have to have a ton of experience at the NFL level. So you're completely out on Ronald Jones. I'm not necessarily saying I'm completely out on Ronald Jones, but right now Peyton Barber, who was the number two running back last year, he just signed a contract with Washington, so he's gone. You don't have any depth behind Jones. And if you're, you know, what has Tom Brady always had when he's in New England? Whether it be Kevin Falk or James White, he's always had a pass-catching back or Danny Woodhead, whatever. He's had a pass-catching back. 
is Ronald Jones that? I don't really think so. You can't compare what other teams are doing with what New England does with running backs. New England asks four different running backs each to do one specific thing. That's what New England has always done. No other team has been able to replicate that system in really... I, I can't remember. They have like five running exactly. backs on always. their roster. Always. Rex, I understand Burkhead, all these guys. I mean, that's a ton but of But if you look backs. at Bruce Arians, he also likes pass catching running backs. Who's the best running back that we've seen in any Bruce Arians offense? David Johnson had like an MVP caliber season one year, right? Yeah. Where he was a monster catching the ball out of the backfield. You telling me we couldn't we can't find a marriage between a Brady offense with a pass catching running back and a Bruce Arians offense with a pass catching running back? Because we definitely can. I definitely think that we can, but no no way am I out on Ronald Jones, who's 22 years old. He got drafted at 21. I think he was actually 20 when he got drafted. The day that he got drafted, he was 20 years old, coming into a man's league at running back. First time, rookie season. He was with Dirt Cutter. Dirt Cutter didn't even – I don't even think he got to dress the first three games of the season. There was obviously something going on there. Dirt Cutter was in his last year, and he wasn't going to let a rookie come in and maybe ruin his chances. He knew it was a do-or-die year, and he was going to get fired. And then you have uh, Bruce come in, and last year, Ronald Jones had a great solid year. I won't say not great, but a solid year for Ronald Jones last year. He was in the end zone protecting the football, running between the tackles, and catching it out of the backfield. But what Newman alluded to is the depth. We did lose Peyton Barber, who was a bang between the tackles and kind of carry a little bit of that load. But we need somebody to step in that's going to come in in three wide receiver sets and come out of the backfield like a James White. You don't have to say we need five or four running backs, but we definitely need at least two behind Ronald Jones. And one of them does need to be a scat back like. Guys that I like, Cam Akers. Um, I like Clyde out of LSU. I think two of those guys can come out of the backfield, but also take a handoff and strike. Uh, and, and it's a need for sure, one that I think that we can address in the second round. Uh, for sure. You, and it doesn't even have to be a second round pick, but at some point in time, the Bucks need to address the running back position. And that doesn't even have to be in the draft. You have to, you have to bring in another running back to help Ronald Jones, um, just as far as team needs. Another team need that the Bucks have is wide receiver. Uh, you have two really, really stud players, but you probably need at least one more. Uh, you lost, you know, Brashard Perriman, and uh, Justin Watson has left some, some stuff to be desired. Scotty Miller has injury problems and a very small sample of production. So you probably need to address the wide receiver wide position, but it doesn't have to be an early pick. Offensive guard, like you've mentioned before, Alex Kappa is your starter. You need more depth. It, hopefully you can find a guy to replace him as the starter. Defensive tackle, you have and Dominican Sue and Vita Villa. And that's really it in terms of guys that you trust. You lost Bo Allen to the to New England this offseason. You could say that you need more depth at the defensive end, outside linebacker, edge rusher position. You have JPP and you have Shaq Barrett, but you lost Carl Nassib. Uh, and then cornerback and safety, I think you need, a, need more depth at that position because you can never have enough of those guys. And I think middle linebacker is absolutely, or doesn't necessarily have to be middle linebacker, but one of the interior linebackers, the Bucks have two good ones in Devin White and Levante David, but who's that third guy? I mean, Kevin Minter ha- was pretty productive last year, but he's only on a one-year deal. He needs some more depth at that position as well. I mean, he, Kevin Minter was good in the scheme for, for sure, and, and he could step into that role. Um, but a Todd Bowles defense, I mean, it is flying. I mean, it is blitzing. It is coming off stunts it causes guys to fatigue we do need depth there on the defensive end and we might go a little heavier on the defensive end in the draft than people really think that we were going to I know a lot of people want to attack offensive line and that's me for sure at OT offensive tackle in that first round 
Um, but we definitely need to address those defensive uh, matters, especially on the defensive line. Like you said, Vita Vea, I mean, he's been a pleasure for me. A lot of people, myself included, was a, a little skeptical, especially when Derwin James was there for the Bucks to take in the draft. And we went with Vita Vea, and I wasn't sure what was happening. But last year, Vita Vea was a beast. Him and Nadamik and Sue on that line together, I mean, dude, they're a menace. And then you got Shaq Barrett coming off the outside. If we had some depth behind that, some young guns, I think it can be dangerous. I mean, we've, we mentioned the PFF uh, stats with the defense, and if you add some young talent, I think it could be dangerous. I almost thought we were going to get through a whole cast without mentioning Derwin James, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> dude, guys Not a, a chance. So as I look over the 2018 NFL draft, I see exactly where uh, Jason Light fell into his pitfall. Um, there was a massive run on running backs in first round. I don't think what anybody really anticipated. So I've actually never looked at this. So I, I'm, I'm in hindsight, I'm looking at this going, ah, interesting. So Saquon Barkley was the first running back taken. Stud. And then uh, Rashad Penny, which was a very big surprise pick in that draft. I don't know if everyone recalls. I um, questioned that move when it was made. I and, still question it to this day. Yeah. So what basically happened is, all of a sudden, this running back uh, rush, it was almost like a fantasy draft, started. Uh, Sony Michelle was taken just a few picks later. And then at the beginning of the second round, the Browns took Nick Chubb, who was the last serviceable running back really taken in this draft. Um, and then Ronald Jones got taken a couple picks later. If you look at the next few running backs, on Johnson, plagued by injuries, really good player when he's on the field, by the way. Um, and by the way, I think the Bucks definitely should have taken on Johnson over Ron Jones. But I, 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 I'm just saying that I kind of get it. Um, Geis with Washington, I mean, he, geez, he's been guy can't, prone. Guy can't, guy can't stay on the field. Um, he certainly has all the talent, but uh, you just keep going down these running backs. You got Royce Freeman in the third, third round. A lot of these guys are bust. So this is just a really bad running back class that Jason Light, and we complain about him often, he – got caught up in the run, and he took a player that, dude, I mean, you, you redraft him, and maybe you haven't given up on Ronald Jones, but he's not the guy. I, I really don't think he'll ever be that guy. Um, he's never going to be that second-caliber, second-round caliber guy, which is what worries me about Jason Light and his decision-making. But I don't think that's the basis of the Bucks' offense, though. I mean, for me and running backs, I don't know how that – the GMs haven't picked up on this, but Newman and I talk about it all the time. I wouldn't even draft a running back ever if I was a GM, clearly. Unless it's an Adrian Peterson sitting in front of me, it's got to be an absolute freak of nature sitting in front of me to take a running back because it's proven time and time again that you can get value to not only an undrafted free agency later in the rounds, running backs get beat up. We're not in that type of league anymore, and I don't think you need to attribute too many draft picks to that, especially high draft picks when it comes to running backs, in my opinion. My exception for drafting a high draft pick is if you are a really complete team everywhere else, right? If you don't need anything else and you're in a situation where you're, you know, you've got a great offense, you've got a great offensive line, you've got a great defense, then you want a running back, go ahead and take the guy that you want. But outside of that, I just don't see the value. Well, in case in point, just what Drew talked about in this last year's draft, all these guys are bust and they're pretty high picks. If you're not mistaken, what'd you say that run was, Drew? Of the, picks? The, the top, the bottom end of the second, and so the, honestly, the first, first, the the top first the three, I still think will be good in the league, which is uh, Saquon Barkley, um, uh, Rashad Penny, and Sony Michelle. I think all those have a future. And Chubb, Rashad Penny, I think I would doubt the most. 
Uh, Chubb was taken early in the second round. I think Chubb's a stud. Dude, Chubb beasted last oh, year. Oh, Chubb's yeah, a stud. Chubb's yeah. ahead of Penny and those other guys for sure. Chubb, He's up well, there. here, I'll, I'll say something crazy. Chubb's going to have a better career than Todd Gurley. I believe that. I think Todd Gurley's damn near done. I think he, he is He done. probably gets injured this year with Atlanta. And Atlanta goes, holy shit, not only do we pick out the shittiest uniforms in the league, but we just got played for suckers with Todd Gurley. For sure. I completely agree. But, yeah, so it's just nat- the nature of running backs. And I, I was just commenting on that because I think that, you know, it's a little bit overblown that he reached as far as he did. But um, in terms of what the Bucks can do this offseason, any other final thoughts? I mean, I'm all for trading all your picks and just getting good veteran players that you know can play at the NFL level. That's fine. Or And here's the other thing. Don't be afraid to trade next year's picks so they can move around if you need or the following year's picks because, you, like I said, you got a two-year window with Brady. Get it done. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, now is the time to win. Strike while the lightning's hot. Brady's coming in, and he's obviously ready to win. Um, we talked about that earlier, and, and I couldn't be more excited for it. This isn't a cash grab. This isn't riding off into the sunset and on his own terms. He's coming in to prove something and, and understand, let the league understand that I'm not a system guy. Bill Belichick didn't make my career. Robert Kraft didn't make my career. I paved the way for this. I've been a leader, and I'm going to prove it. So I've, I'm always a sports fan in terms of stories. I like to see good storylines. If it's not my team, you know, when it's your team, all you really care about is results. When you're kind of like a third-party sports fan, which is exactly what I am with this whole Bucks situation, like, I watch this in awe. And I really do wonder where it's going. At first, I was like, this is just a Brady fucking cash grab. As time went on, and I saw that he took less than my quarterback with Minnesota and Kirk Cousins, $8 million a year to be exact. You like that? Yeah. The greatest quarterback of all time is is going to get paid $8 million less a year to play with the worst NFL team and franchise in, in NFL history this year. Can't express my rage at that Let it discrepancy. My point is, I started off with this whole thing thinking, here we go again. The Bucks are making their classic fucking Bucks move. I thought at first it was a cash grab by Brady. He was going to come in, clean house, play like shit for a couple of years, and then all this shit was going to go wrong, and the Bucks were going to fulfill the status quo that they have for so many years. All of a sudden, we realize that Brady is taking less than he probably could have made with other teams. And Dominic Sue is signing for less. The greatest tight end in history is honing all the rage that Brady is experiencing when he came to, to the Bucks, And now he's going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer himself. Now I'm thinking, what the fuck is going on? What is happening right now? I am genuinely con- confused. We are all trapped in our homes for weeks over a month now, we've been trapped in our homes. Tom Brady is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Rob Gronkowski is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. What the fuck is going on right now? This is like bizarro world. And I'm here for it. This is the most interesting sports storyline I think it ever happened. And we have all these weeks of not working or doing shit to contemplate it. We certainly have. Check us out on the sportsmemory.com and check us out on our page. We've been talking about it excessively. Thank you so much to Brady and Grunk for the gift you've given us in terms of content. 
from a Tampa perspective, nobody has been talking about the Bucks this much. In how long? When can you when can you name a time that the Bucks have been this target of heated discussion for this long? I cannot name a single time since maybe 2002, their Super Bowl season. So, any closing thoughts, guys? Don't fuck it up, Jason Light. Yep. <laughs> Fire the cannons, baby. Let's go. It's a Bucks life. Yep. It really is a Bucks life right now. Whether you're a Bucks fan or whatever the fuck else everybody else is who claims they're a Bucks fan, even though they're not really Bucks fans, this is your fucking year. Tampa! Hey! Hey!